Hey guys, welcome to episode 65 of the JV Club with Sarah Benicasa. I am recording this intro freshly back from New Zealand, which if any of you have traveled, and I'm sure many of you have, uh, as far away as uh, New Zealand or something close, um, this jet lag is amazing! I just reminded myself of that cute little kid in The Incredibles when it's that cute little kid that always watches Mr. Incredible uh, from the driveway and he's got his little big wheel. And then finally, like, Mr. Incredible says something like, what are you looking at, kid? What are you waiting for? Something like that. And the little kid goes, I don't know, something amazing, I guess. Anyway, that's like my favorite part of that movie. Um, Listen, guys, getting back to the jet lag, it is dreadful. Uh, I applaud and uh, sympathize with any of those of you who do this on a regular basis because this is intense to say the least. It's like I got enough sleep, but it doesn't really matter. I still feel like I've been drugged. Um, I don't feel like I'm making a lot of sense. So my goal is to get this intro out there into the world. Uh, That means minimal shout outs. Um, I have a lot of catching up to do on JV Club and other life related stuff. So um, Um, Hang in there with me while I continue to be nonsensical. Luckily, the episode was recorded before I went to New Zealand, so I think it it will flow a little bit better than this intro, which I do always want to apologize for something. So here I go. Sorry for this intro. Um, So here is uh, what I'd like to do is at least just thank all of the wonderful fans that I met uh, at the Armageddon shows in Hamilton and Wellington, New Zealand. Very, very, very thrilled to say that Jules, whom uh, many of you know, has been working on the Pinterest account uh, now with help from Victoria because Jules is in school, was able to fly down from Auckland, New Zealand to Wellington. We were able to spend the afternoon together while I was there. And um, what a joy, you know, it's so amazing to have these friendships forming all over the world with people that I don't get to see in person very often and sometimes never, but to um, finally get to be with her face to face was such a pleasure and a joy. And I just, uh, I'm crazy about her. So Jules, special shout out to you. So glad that you were there. Uh, And then these are folks who've sent me wonderful emails. Uh, Avalon, I want to thank you. Charlene over at Bridgetown. I'm so glad that you're listening to and enjoying the podcast. Uh, Crispy, LD, Gloria, Haley, I'm losing my voice, Julie M, Kelly M, Lauren H, Monia, and Terry B. All of your emails. Terry Blass is a wonderful uh, comic book artist, graphic novelist, and... Um, as uh, I thought might happen, he did a marvelous rough sketch of uh, Sandra, Sex Nerd Sandra, on a koalasaur, which I am about to tweet and put up on the Facebook page. And I'm sure um, Sandra will love it and will retweet it as well. Thank you so much for doing that. It is awesome. And then I also wanted to thank my sweet Hannah W. I got your PayPal notification. Uh, thank you so much for your donation. That's so sweet. Um, I adore you. So uh, I I'm going to leave it at that, guys. I know I have more thanks to give out um, when I review some stuff online, but I think right now we should all just be glad that I'm alive and even conscious enough to be recording this intro. Um, I will talk to you guys soon, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Okay, bye. Now entering Nerdist.com.
what I've just discovered is that a great way to start a podcast is if your guest compliments you on your hair right before you start, because that puts me in a delightful mood <laughs> to get in this and get going. I keep, do you notice how I'm not making eye contact with you because I you keep looking look at, at my hair? I'm only looking at your hair. Like, You're that's mesmerized. The, the opposite of what, of what straight boys do where they just look at your boobs or your butt like Correct. i'm just like oh your hair is mesmerizing <laughs> it looks that, really good i have to say that what you just reminded me of is one of those moments when you're doing an improv show and listen a lot of the time i really eat shit on stage i'm not saying that i'm like master improviser i'm lucky in that i am in an improv group with really really talented improvisers so everybody kind of lifts each other up but i was doing the show at bridgetown oh, cool. and someone we w- we went into this whole long scene. God, describing an improv scene is almost as bad as telling someone about a dream you had. Like, it was my house, <laughs> but it wasn't my house. But very briefly, something happened where a scene developed where it turned out that a plastic surgeon who insisted on wearing a blindfold while they did plastic surgery or something like that okay. had accidentally given me breasts on my forehead. <laughs> and so I was given the gift of that. And so I was having a conversation with my scene partner and I, with my breasts on my forehead, I was able to say, hey, mister, my eyes are down here. And it was just like one of those moments where you're like, I don't, that will never exist in life again. And now I've just quoted myself like, that's I awesome. had a great line. Did it kill? Did that line it kill? It did kill. That's awesome. And that's the one thing that makes me sad about improv is that it won't come back. Like at least with stand up, you know, if you have a great line, a great delivery and you have, and you're working on a set, you know, you get to enjoy that and like craft it and work at it more and i think that's like the downside of improv for me because i'm too lazy to work on stand-up but it does also mean that like a moment comes and goes and it's not like you're going to go do that you know tomorrow night but better or whatever well two things one i have noticed that all the people who become famous for comedy um and do the coolest funnest things come out of improv that is thing one. Like I think of all the SNL people, but then I also think of like Amy Sedaris and Stephen Colbert and Steve Carell and all these different people who've come out of improv. So I think that improv is a fan is fantastic and it's a better choice if that's what your big dream is. And I don't know if it's yours, but you've accomplished a lot of things already. But if for just for folks who are listening, <laughs> if yeah. that's your big dream, I think you should do improv too. I am terrified of improv and I'm terrible Have at you, it. But you've done it. I've only done it a few times times in my okay. life All just right. a few times and never in front of an audience i've done it i think once um as a warm-up game with some kind of youth group i was with and then once or twice in a class um before sketch class with kevin allison i think at the pit oh, i think love we play little allison. games everybody He's might know or might not remember that kevin is from the state which yes. is a wonderful sketch group which did do a lot of improv to develop sketch and stuff which is yes. totally cool but i um I'm terrified of it. I it's you know, but here's the thing is I bet you because I just think you're so fantastic and I Thank think you. you would be great at it and I think that the context in which you've done it is those have been the most unpleasant experiences I've had doing it. It's almost better when you're in front of a live audience because it just you know it's like how how great would your stand up be if you were doing your stand up to two people or you were doing your stand up as a warm up in a class I've done that and it's not so right? great I mean it's like that's not it's sort of like that's not where it's meant to exist in terms of really giving being given the opportunity to shine um and so I I almost think that if someone just threw you onto a stage 
with a group and with a group that you liked and that tr- and you tried some people you trusted like if you ever wanted to come play with us sometime i feel like you knowing you you would just organically like kill i hope so but i would need to do Scott. i would need to like go out for for drinks at some point with them not not, not before because i i don't like to perform when i have alcohol in me i me feel neither. it makes me weird yeah i forget my jokes and i forget how to be funny yeah i don't know how people do it I'm yeah really so and so many um stand-ups without naming names so many stand-ups all it almost seems like they can't perform unless they have some kind of substance in them i mean the really extreme ones you're looking at like coke right right but and and those people tend to have sometimes have major flame outs that we that we know about that are very sad but um more often it's just people have a few drinks in them they have to have a few drinks in them and it's not even a conscious thing it's it's not even something it, it's probably something where if you sat a lot of stand-ups down and said do you have to drink? They'd go, no, of course not. But if you said, well, do you always have a drink in you before you go on? They'd probably go, well, yeah, that's normal. Yeah. And for me, I um, I take a lot of medication for mental illness, for depression and anxiety and agoraphobia. So my shrink broke it down for me and was like, when you have one drink, it's like having two drinks. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in a way, that's fabulous because you're a cheap, you're date. A cheap date. But in a way, it's bad because you really have to watch yourself. And, and I it's true. totally agree. And I also think, you know, and I have a lot of friends who are in the comedy world who, it's funny because I feel like, <laughs> it's interesting. I sort of like am accidentally mentally going through people I know who do stand up. And I feel like there are, I guess at the end I could end up naming all categories, but I do feel like I have the friends who are sober because they became too dependent to your point on yes. drinking before, during and after sets and being on the road makes it so hard too. So lonely. I feel like I have those friends. I feel like I have friends who are brilliant and funny and on medication <laughs> and that's why they don't drink. And then I feel like I have I have a couple of friends who've just never had a, a sip of alcohol. Like April Richardson has never. Really? She's completely straight edge. She's, she's never so had a cool. sip of alcohol. So she's never going to do it just because she never needs, she just doesn't want to and or care to. Um, but it's funny because I don't, I, I feel like I know a lot of people who don't drink for very specific reasons. And then there's kind of everybody else who does, who does drink and who, you know, who do drink. What? Everyone else who does do drink. drink, girl. Who does, who does drink. <laughs> um, I'm just going to write it off like I was doing an accent. I was doing a character, guys. Um, it was a bit. Yeah. But I'm, I am the same as you. And I think um, I'm not on a medication that would prohibit me from drinking, but I think that, um, and I just podcasted my my girlfriend from high school who has like ex- has had an extreme bout of. I mean, just she lost ten years to her mental illness. Wow. Like she kind of doesn't remember ten years of her life. Um, and you guys who listen to the podcast, if you listen to it, will know that. But um, but I think that the conversation she and I had was sort of like, my God, if you if you spend so much time as a young person or as an adult trying to just feel okay and to feel normal altering your reality is not particularly necessarily appealing either. So for me as a performer, I feel like I've been down the road of feeling out of my body or feeling like strange or loose or, you know, wobbly or slurry or whatever. And I've, and it's been more a a sense of like, Oh, I I really wish I were in control of my, my senses and myself right now. And so I think it's, I do need to feel like, like spot on to go on stage or I'm just worried I'm going to lose it. I have felt since I was about 
I suppose I've been having panic attacks since I was 10, but um, the depression really kicked in when I was about 14. And so there have been times when I have felt like I was having an out-of-body experience. Not literally, not where you're floating above and you see yourself. Although I did used to read the Time Life books on the occult and they would have oh, they had instructions. Too. Were you not fascinated by what is that when you can like so like astral, astral projection. projection yeah i wanted so much to be able to do that and then my panic took the form kind of of what you're i mean are you describing like depersonalization and displacement and disassociation um, and stuff? i guess sometimes the way i would feel i remember very distinctly i was 14 years old and my mom was driving me to school and i remember looking out the window and seeing this tree and feeling like time slowed down and it was just me and the tree yeah and i felt as if the tree was trying to tell me something and the something was that I needed to get help. So I was like taking uh, internal wisdom, things that I knew and projecting it outwards. Like that star wants me to go inside now and not stay outside partying or that tree wants me to tell my mom that I need help. So I was like, all right, tree, good idea. And I told my mom, I, you know, I thought I needed to start seeing a counselor. So I did when I was 14. Um, but, and there was been, I can really relate. Yeah. I, I used to say, I don't, and, and we don't have to spend the whole time talking about this, but since, especially since it was when you were 14 and that kind of helps get us into putting your adolescence into some context. But, um, these guys all know I was diagnosed with something called depersonalization displacement syndrome when I was 18 and I described it as feeling like I was high. Like, I just feel like I'm high out of my mind, but I'm completely sober. Now, this I've is- taken nothing, and I feel like I'm, out- I'm floating outside my body, and my, my hands don't really make sense to me, and my arms, and my oh, tongue, wow. and all of that kind of stuff feels like, how did th- who's this? How did I... Like, why do I, why do I like what I like? And looking in the mirror was just like weird. And not to say that's the same thing. No, no, no. But the sort of breaks with reality. The break with reality where you're, I mean, I remember one time again, when I was 14, sitting down and watching, pushing my foot sort of along the floor and watching, just watching it as if I were watching someone else's body doing it. That's so interesting. What is it called again? It's called, it's basically like, um, a disassociation or a displacement or depersonalization syndrome where you sort of separate from your personality in some way, or you sort of separate from just being holistically in your body Mm -hmm. and everything becomes almost in the abstract. Like you're able to, if your brain, I always like to say, listen, it's because we're so smart. It's because we're (laughs) super smart. Our brains have too much going on. They they don't have enough to do. So you can sort of be having a conversation with someone and everyone knows that you can kind of have other thoughts happening while you're having a conversation. But this can almost be like, oh, I, and I can, I can kind of make it happen if I want to. I mean, I don't want to, but even as I'm talking to you, I can sort of disassociate enough that I almost feel like I'm listening to someone else talk, even though I'm talking right now. So this is not the same as what used to be called MPD, which is multiple personality disorder. Definitely not. That is a different disorder, although it does involve dissociation because it involves go like you sort of zone out. I spoke to a woman on a plane once who had it. She told me that, um, and we were talking about the United States of Terra. And she told me that show actually got it really accurate because I thought, you know, is it? I mean, I've talked to Diablo Cody about it and I, and she had told me they had brought in people with MPD to, to learn about it. And 
I was still wondering, you know, is it still Hollywoodified? And I talked to this woman on the plane and she was like, no, it's quite accurate. You do have a moment where you just sort of go whoosh and you and an altar takes over. Mm. So it's another it's not it's not the same thing, but it's another way of being not in your body or mm-hmm. separating out. It sounds like something, and I'm not making any assumptions about you. People always are like, so how were you traumatized as a right, child? And right. I'm like, I how really you, wasn't yeah, traumatized. Yeah. But it sounds like something that would be useful for someone who had experienced trauma to develop that in childhood or adolescence. It's quite. It sounds like a, quite a useful thing. I actually. agree with that. And the same thing with me. People are like, you know, the first doctors I started seeing were like, so who molested you? Like, yeah, they, you yeah, know yeah. I mean? And I was like, th- the scary thing about that is that they, is that then, you know, if you're a sensitive young person, then you start to feel like you're getting memories implanted because yes. then you're like, well, I don't remember. And they're like, well, maybe you're repressing. And you're like, but I don't think I am. And then you start going, am I repressing something? Let me just, you know, let me imagine what might have happened. And yes. then and I like, think we, that's very so dangerous. Weird. Oh, absolutely it is. And, you know, that sort of repressed memory stuff was very popular for a while. And then it became quite controversial because you had instances in which uh, it was psychologists, psychiatrists, unwittingly were implanting ideas they, Absolutely. they didn't intend to and then of course you have times when their court cases and and an attorney or a prosecutor or whatever wants to elicit a certain response and so perhaps with less ethics than a, a shrink they might say well well didn't this happen or didn't this happen or did this happen especially if you've got somebody who's in a very emotionally vulnerable state it's easy to get them to think Definitely. that that happened and memory is so strange and malleable and fleeting anyway oh, yeah. i mean i listen to radio lab all the time these guys know that <laughs> but um you know there was there was an episode i don't know they were just talking about how i love when i can't remember something that's about memory but they were talking about this you know the, the fact that they did there was some sort of test performed where people who talked about a memory got it wrong more than people who never said anything and then were asked to kind of like later read like mm-hmm. so somehow even just the socializing of talking about something right after it happens and then keeping that memory alive, just the way that it twists and becomes this sort of representation of truth rather than an, a real accurate depiction of what happened that we're all kind of, I mean, how many times have you had someone say, Oh God, that was so fun. And remember when we were little and we went to your, and you're like, no, yeah. Oh, I my, don't remember that friend, at all. How can you Gretchen remember that? If I don't up and I'm like, what like she remembers everything she remembers every moment detail of when we hung out ever and and i um i really don't remember a lot of things i have bad memory that i think is probably i I mean i have good memory for things like um if you want to tell me about trivia to do with world war one or if you want to sit me down and teach me about doctor who i'm going to remember some stuff after one session of sitting yeah but when it's personal i do this thing that my mom does too which i used to get really angry about because i thought it was on purpose um where i sort of my memories become mushy watercolor memories and I legitimately don't remember certain conversations or certain things that happen. Sure. And of course, inevitably it's, it's tweaked so that like it's beneficial to me. Like I don't remember the mean things that I've done. Unfair. Even a few days later, I won't remember that I said a certain thing or that I did a certain thing. And so I have this problem. I was talking to um, a friend about it recently where sometimes with friends, I will come off as a flake or I will come off as um, not 
exactly insensitive, but just really cavalier mm. because I don't remember certain things that I don't want to remember. Mm-hmm. So like if say something bad happens to a friend and it makes me really sad for them, I will not remember it and then like make crack a joke oh, in no. reference that's, to that. That's, uh, and then it's like, well, that's, that's terrible. Yeah. That's really terrible. That's like, inconvenient. That's really is a little not bit good. Of like of sitting down in a room with like, you know, um, Jodie Foster's character from Silence of the Lambs and just cracking wise about like <laughs> dead bodies. And then I'm like, oh, that's terrible. So it's kind of a selfish thing. It's like, I'll protect myself from your bad memories. Right. Let me do that. And then I'll exploit them comedically without yeah. necessarily and intending to. And then I will talk about them on a podcast. Yeah, so get ready for that. <laughs> well, let's, so let's, um, let's put that into an environmental context where when, when we talk about you being 14 and having that experience, I mean, listen, what kind of tree? was it where was it where was it was an oak tree it was a very big oak tree and it was on the way to my school which was hunter and central regional high school in flemington new jersey uh in the county seat of hunter county flemington new jersey and um that's where it was it was on the way and i remember just seeing it and noticing and feeling really tripped out and sort of like whoa man look at the leaves in this way that i'd never felt before this way that felt like an altered state and it almost like, sounds, in a weird way, it almost reminds me of the way people describe, like, before they have an, uplift, uh, an epileptic fit, almost, oh, where there's an aura, where there's mm-hmm. this feeling that, like, reality just sort of shifts on its axis, and something feels very surreal. I used but to feel it in your case, on. you didn't have a seizure. I would, well, I would feel the depression coming on. For years, I would just, if I had to cry, I wouldn't cry. I would just stuff it down, stuff it down, stuff it down. And then once or twice a year it would come out. So all the stuff would come out at once and I would feel it coming on a few days before. And so I would actually make preparations so that within like a 48 hour window, I wouldn't have to be like, I'd make excuses for why I couldn't be at a practice or rehearsal or something. And I would make just accommodations for the fact that I knew I was going to lose control of my emotions. Um, at because, such a young age. Out. Yeah. I mean, yeah. not to say, it, I mean, listen, when we're that age, things are crazy anyway, and it's hard to kind of harness your emotions, but the adult side of you planning in advance is that's fascinating to me. Yeah. Now, do you, are, are your, were your parents together? Did you have siblings? Where do my you fit in in together. a grand scheme of things? Um, with my parents, parents were together. They've been together since they were 17. They're still together now. So that's wow. 40 years, I think this year. Wow. Um, I have a little brother, Steve, who's a psychiatric nurse, who once said to me, of course I became a psychiatric nurse. I was around crazy people my whole life. Wow. And, and looked at me meaningfully, and I was like, I know. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty accurate. Um, so there was no, you know... Uh, How much younger is he than you? Three years younger. So okay. I'm 32, he's 29. Okay. And um, it'll be so weird when he turns 30. That'll be weird for me. Like, weirder <laughs> for me than for him. Maybe you can just push that memory down. And yeah, I'll push it down. I'll be like, you're 12. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah, I mean, an intact family unit and not really dramatic, awful. I remember I was talking to Marin about this on his podcast and he was like, I insist on family of origin problems. I insist on family of origin. And I was like, but my family's fine. And by the end of talking to him, I was like, you know what? <laughs> Maybe my parents were narcissists. Yeah, that's his job. He's yeah. going to like, he'll help contort whatever into whatever. I probably do the same thing. But he I don't would be to. like a great to be a, um, you guys would be great together as good cop, bad cop in some kind of CIA situation. You're, you're probably right about that. I don't really listen to, I don't really listen to anyone's podcast except for non 
comedy people's podcasts. In That's, part, I think because I don't want to yeah, like you don't be influenced by them and stuff. It, yeah. So I've only heard Marin like when he's done the live podcast at mm-hmm. SF Sketchfest. But um, but everything that I've heard about his podcast and what you just said makes sense to me. I was very shaken up when I left having done the podcast with him. I was I remember sitting with my manager in her in her pickup truck, which is great. She's a manager in LA who drives around a pickup. I truck. love what I'm hearing, and it's she also. Oh, I have stories about her. She's so cool, but um. Uh, I I was like I feel shaken up. I feel like somebody took a walk around in my brain. Like, what well, you know? It was very interesting. It was an interesting experience. But actually, that led to me then going back to therapy and being like, you know what? I think there's some stuff from when I was a kid that I haven't really explored fully. And my therapist was like, ah, oh, so you never know what can happen with these podcasts, Janet. I mean, yeah. you, I'm sure that people have told you before, probably privately, that talking to you about stuff on the podcast has made them. Th- think more deeply later on and has made them yeah i mean i think it's it's gone both ways some people i think feel that and some people feel just this tremendous like joyful nostalgia for you know combing because they ended up combing through old journals or combing through old photos and kind of remembering things in a really in a really positive way but um but yeah i do think that i mean for me i just feel again i I need like a, I've said this before on the podcast jingle that I can just like, yeah, it'll be like, this is the part where she said it before. She's not (laughs) saying it because we're saying it instead. Um, But I feel so close to that person that um, it didn't, it doesn't feel like that much of a journey for me to go back, which is why I started the podcast Mm because I feel so connected to that person that I was. But some people, I think it, you know, it's, it's been good for them to like drop back into it and think about it. But, um, but yeah, so well, let's get back to let's get back to you and and uh, hopefully I'm not treading into Marin territory. No, it's but, okay. Um, I, I actually just um, I was thinking of this um, one thing first. Total aside that I just need you to know oh, that that um, my manager takes shooting lessons, pickup truck and shooting lessons in the desert, and she goes sometimes to a little town in the desert that's not really a town; it's a fake town. Uh huh. And she shoots like pop-up dummies and it's trained in in oh, combat. Wow. Okay, I just needed to tell you that. Yeah, I'm glad you got that out. I Do you, really does that appeal out. to you? Um, it really does. I love that about her. Yeah. Like I love it that she's Does it appeal to you to do it girl. yourself? No. Um, and I will I will tie it back in. Growing up, I was never athletic. I was never um I didn't come from a military family, so I don't have that military sort of instinct or background. I don't come from a hunting family, even though I grew up around hunting. What do your parents do? Um, My dad is a vice president at a pharmaceutical company, and my mom is a school librarian. Okay. So one of them makes more money than the other one. Guess which? Yeah, librarian. And and they both are in pretty different fields. Sure. Um, But I I never, I guess I I never really was... um, you know, there was always deer hunting around when I was growing up, but in New Jersey, oddly enough, in rural New Jersey, which exists. Um, but I never was really around people who could kick ass. I mean, my uncle knew Taekwondo, which was cool, but I never saw, went to any of his like demonstrations or anything. Yeah. Um, so I was never around people who could really do st- cool stuff like kill a man with <laughs> one punch. So I, I get very excited, especially when I meet women who do, you know, whether it's Krav Maga or karate or something, I just think it's so neat. And, yeah. and it's something I look up to 
but I don't know if I could ever do it myself because I'm not that coordinated. I'm not a good dancer. Do you feel like you have, and I'm not saying that these women have that, although I will say that like for me kind of doing the kickboxing stuff and whatnot, it just felt great to get out all my untapped mm-hmm. anger. But do you feel like you have anger that sure. like would, ver- would benefit from that sort of, oh, like yeah. that that's maybe what the draw is? Oh, absolutely. I think um, my best friend, Catherine, who I'm going to hang out with in Santa Barbara this weekend, um, years ago, she had a breakup with this D-bag and she um she's got this like awesome hot husband and beautiful baby now and they're great um but she dated a d-bag as we all do sometimes and when they broke up she went would box and she got into the best shape of her life like the looked the hottest she's ever looked and got all this anger out in a really healthy way instead of Go, getting into drama with the ex or, or having inappropriate relationships, which are things that I do <laughs> when I'm <laughs> dealing with a breakup. She went boxing and so it was cool. amazing for her. It's, I find it to be very pleasing. I kind of miss it. There's something about your fist or your leg or both impacting something yeah. that feels uh, that just was a very different kind of satisfaction than any other form of exercise I've ever had. But um, so were you bookish? Were you really into books? Because you're uh, not because your mom I was, was a librarian, but at least you didn't rebel against that because you really would have missed out. If I would have like, missed Screw books. Out. If I was like, fuck books, I hate yeah. books. Um, I would have missed out because I'm an author now. I'm working on my um, third book and we're preparing to pitch a fourth. So I would have missed out on a career. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So that allows me to, you know, work in my underpants and work from coffee shops and stuff. So um, that would have been I can sad. only assume that you're talking about wearing your underpants in a coffee shop. Correct. I could only put those two together. Correct, which would be incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and just running into, I live in Highland Park, so I would run into like, there's a few comedians who live there who i would probably run into and they'd yeah. be like you're disgusting goodbye <sighs> yeah. but um no i got into books books were an escape from i was riddled with anxieties and neuroses and so books were an escape from that and books were just so exciting i've always enjoyed living more in my head than in the real world and even sometimes now i'll have times where um uh, my boyfriend was like, come watch TV with me. And I was like, no, no, I have to, um, I have to have thoughts. And he was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, and he knows that that <laughs> means I just it. need to be by myself and like imagine things. Yeah. Maybe I'm thinking about a project or maybe I'm just giving my brain a break by imagining myself like riding a unicorn, but I just need to have thoughts by myself. And yeah. he's like, okay. Like he gets it. He's like, no, that's how you are. You need to have thoughts by yourself. I understand. Well, well I, you, I know you were talking about reading books about the occult and stuff. Do you yeah. have like, but can you call out authors and like, were there books that you were really into? Like, there did you was. read Zilpha Keatley Snyder books? I never did. No, I'm a little bit older than you, but I don't. I feel like those are all Newbery Award winners, so they probably stuck around. There's a book like called The Egypt Game, and there's a lot of books about. Her books are all sort of about little kids doing mysterious things, being obsessed with the occult and like being obsessed with being alone and finding secret places to be alone in. There's this book called The Velvet Room that is so good. It's like, I think it's like Grapes of Wrath Dust Bowl era. I feel Mm -hmm. like it's like, poor family traveling via pickup truck not unlike your manager yes um in like dusty deserty kind of towns like going like fruit pickers and people like that and there's this little girl who is basically used to sleeping in the same room as her entire family and um she somehow they're hired onto this property and she somehow i can't remember i haven't read it in so long but she somehow ends up being given this gift of 
I'm sure like an old person gives it. I'm not sure, but being given this gift of this key and she gets to go up into this room and this resplendent kind of great expectations esque mansion. Oh, wow. That's um, a, just a library, a library with <laughs> velvet drapes and velvet cushions. And, you know, her little raggle taggle, like tattered self with her dirty feet goes up there and she gets to just disappear and be completely alone wow. and, and read books and stuff. And that sounds, that sounds like, a, that sounds like a, you, I mean, that sounds like a you character. I was there. always attracted to, to the thing I loved about Beauty and the Beast, the story, especially the movie, was the library. But what I loved was the idea that she could be mostly alone. Like the Beast didn't bother her that much. He just mostly wanted to have dinner and then would be like, <laughs> Do you love me? And she'd be all, No. But during the day, she got to be alone and she got to just go through all these rooms that had magical things in them. I've always loved that story That's because so of true. that. That's like, a really great observation. Not the, 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 um, you know, the fact that she tried to save her father or her father bargained with her life, depending on which versions you read, that never really spoke to me. The fact that she had um, sisters never really got to me. Just nothing else. And the idea, the very clear idea that the the danger of sexual assault was ever present <laughs> never got to me. Yeah. It was that she got to be alone during the day and do what she wanted and go into these different rooms. Yeah. That's what I was really into. I totally get it. I would sit in the car during family parties. I would I would steal away and sit in the car or sit in a room if we were at my house and read books. And that's something yeah. a few people in my family um, are known for doing. Yeah. Like very awkwardly So it doing. is kind of fam- a familial genetic thing too. Yes. God, I remember like walking to school in the morning and reading a book while I was walking and yeah. like tripping and falling and stuff, but just being like, I don't care. I got to keep reading this book i love when i see kids reading on the subway when i'm in new york yeah that makes me really happy or, oh, or on their so kindles important. or doing yeah, whatever books they're doing are so they're so important and and also like really the the art of reading them rather than having them read to you rather than listening to an audiobook mm-hmm. i mean i listen to a lot of audiobooks and podcasts now as we all do i think um because it's so easy but for sure, the voice, the the lack of a voice altogether and just the words on a page or on a Kindle or what have you floating there and the way they communicate with your brain and the way you process and chew those is just, it just is different than hearing a voice read them to you, I think. Yeah, you can invent your own world, which is so exciting. Yeah. And when you, I understand why some people don't like watching movies that are made from books because they someone else is creating the world oh god yeah that's how i feel about a wrinkle in time there are certain books where i'm like oh i never want to see that movie never see that movie not never see it i don't care if it's the best thing that ever was i just can't i don't want to ever see anybody more clearly than the kind of nebulous it's not like i have this perfect idea of what people look like but that's also kind of wonderful about books too it's like in a way I don't even know what I'm trying to say here. Now I'm just like mentally tripping out with you. Like I'm well, as I, if I'm on drugs, but we're on drugs. But like in a way it's almost like, I mean, when you really think about it, just because someone describes in a book, Scott guys, the tree trimmers are here. So if my dog erupts or if there's a knock on the door, there's always something going on at Shea Varney. Everyone knows <laughs> that. Um, but it's almost like, I mean, obviously, obviously you do have an, you, you have an idea in your mind of what something is, but not really. I mean, do you really have an image of what, you know, Meg or Charles Wallace from, from A Wrinkle in Time looks like? Do you I couldn't really, tell you. You know what I mean? But you don't want to know either. Right. It's almost like... If you like, tell me it's Selena Gomez, I'm going to be like, what are you talking about? Why don't you go straight to hell? <laughs> but it's so like, mad. it's almost like a, a world in which 
it's not like you're blind, but in a weird way, it is kind of like your brain is blind because it's like you've had, you have, you've had sight. So if you, if Meg is described using this as an example to carry it through, but if Meg is described as being this, you know, sullen faced kid with braces and glasses and tousled hair, you know what that means, but that doesn't mean that you have a very specific girl in your mind. You just know what that represents. And it's almost like you, you have the gift of sight or you've had it, but suddenly you're blind in your mind in the sense that you know all you need to know from the words. Yeah. You don't have to put an actual very specific picture to it. It's really and so freeing. when you see Yeah, it is really free. I guess that's what I'm saying. You just said it in one word when I no, said no, it. No, no, no. The, the experience. But I know exactly what you're saying. The experience of reading is so freeing because you're released from the the bonds and shackles of having to take in um, multisensory information and you can just you process it all you're you're reading you're getting this information physically and you know visually i mean and um and your brain will sort of take care of the rest yeah for you and it's so interesting i love that you were sitting out in a car while everybody else was inside oh and everyone but, thought it was really weird except for the family members who were used to it and then they were like oh yeah well that's just what she does well is that i mean it sounds like you're getting a lot out of it but how does that is it is it equal parts kind of fear and anxiety or agoraphobia or a social anxiety making it really scary to be in the rooms and that's why it's so enjoyable not that it's one or the other but that's what i'm saying is a double is it like you kind of had to do that because this alternative was so unpleasant or was it like you truly loved and cherished this so much it wasn't even really about the negative side of being inside at the party it was really just about like the deliciousness of being alone and reading. I think that I did enjoy, I certainly enjoyed being alone and reading. And there were plenty of times when I was just reading in my house and there were no social obligations, but it was a way I was looking for an excuse to get out of social obligations. So Mm. I just kind of invented one. Um, uh, I had a lot of anxiety being around people. I was very shy in high school. Um, not in high school in when I was a little kid. And then when I was in sixth grade, I started taking baton lessons, baton twirling lessons. Oh my gosh, that's adorable. And you're the person who takes a baton twirling lesson i, I never did. knew anybody who twirled a baton i took baton twirling lessons and then i was on a competitive baton twirling baton and dance team and we won the 1994 world championships oh, which were held no. in south bend indiana oh, at notre dame my. university it was called america's youth on parade oh, ayop and it incorporated pageants fantastic. incorporated like all kinds of categories of dancing and and um, there was like drill marching around, which was more military style. And you had to have a specific sort of more military outfit for that, mm-hmm. which mine was black and had these um, gold epaulets and gold braiding all over it, a, a leotard. And then just and a machine gun. Just a machine gun. <laughs> and just like twirling a machine gun twirling, for that one. Twirling a prisoner of indeterminate ethnicity <laughs> who had not been read as Miranda rights. Just throwing well, him over really my shoulder. Got into it on I really parade. did. They were like, she's really, really like this is long before Guantanamo, <laughs> but she really is predicting something here. 
so there was that there was you know you did your solo which was just um they had uh, certain music you didn't get to pick your music they just had certain music with certain time in certain timing so you practiced music with that timing and with that beat or whatever and would do your solo routine and then there were the group things and i would i i twirled the baton in a gr- in group things and i was really bad at twirling the baton but i was good with the flag so we i would do flag stuff and then that really brought me out of my shell and i you'd have to do for the pageant stuff you'd have to do an interview and i was really good at that because i was good at bullshitting and so um that really made me come out of my shell and made me more that was what made me a performer was baton twirling now let me just call you on this for a second because you described yourself as not being coordinated but i feel like baton twirling and flag twirling has got to involve a certain amount of hand-eye coordination i guess i do if i can get what my point is we gotta get some boxing gloves on you yes if i'm given a tool then or, or some sort of object like a penis um, <laughs> that I have to handle. What I'm, about an do that. What about fencing for Sarah? That would be cool. I would probably like that and Ooh, be reasonably okay at that. As, if I have it like, up. a tool, then it's it's and you instruct me very specifically on what to do with said tool. I can do that. But when it comes to finding my body in space or just dancing at a party, I'm like, forget it. I have no idea what's going okay, on. Okay, I hear it. I think that makes sense to me. I need like a very concrete object that I can hold on to and spin around. Okay. Or or jerk off or whatever I need now to do. Now we're getting somewhere. We're getting somewhere. Now we're, we're definitely learning a lot. getting somewhere. Okay. <laughs> all right. Okay. So baton. So that's in high school. So were you close to that group of, was it just girls? Uh, it was just girls. Were you, did was, you get close to that group of girls? Like what were your friendships like when you were in high school? I guess, well, when I was in middle school, I had twirling. And then when I got into high school, I did flag for the first two years. And then I realized it was impeding my popularity. So I quit. Oh and just shot up through the social ranks. Um, I, I, uh, I had two groups of friends in high school. I had my real friends, which were my friends Rachel and Gretchen, um, and a few other associated friends, my friends SW and Jim and different people. And then I had my fake friends who were like my pretty friends who were popular and who were, oh. you know, maybe they did field hockey or they did lacrosse or they did something. It was cool to be sporty in our school. And in lacrosse, you got to wear cute skirts. So like I tried it for a year and was terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and field hockey, you got to wear cute skirts too. So it was very like girly sporty. And so I had my f- sort of, cool public fake friends and then i had my real genuine friends and mixing them together at parties was always hilarious and did they do they did they do anything similar or were they just your they kind of were true to that group of friends their organic unpopular group of friends and did they watch you kind of trade trade and trade places and go bitch my true friends were just not interested in any of that bullshit they were just Didn't like they talk to you about that that it was important they, once you? in a while they'd be like why do you hang out with those girls all they care about is like wearing the right clothing from j crew at the time it was a big j crew delia's situation delia's. um all they care about is wearing the right clothes from j crew and like playing some stupid sport why do you hang out with them they're so fake and i was like I know they're fake, but I really like them. <laughs> I like that they're fake. And so my real friends were the ones who were like, um, you know, uh, they were badasses. They were like hanging out in art class. They were like um, smoking cigarettes with the young teacher outside you're school. sure you're not describing the plot of Mean Girls? <laughs> I might be describing the plot of Mean Girls. I think you just described Lizzie Kaplan yeah. and that other adorable guy. Yeah, that and was my real friends. And the Rachel McAdams on the other and side. And the Rachel McAdams friends were the, the fake friends who were the ones who cared about like winning, you know, 
class president or star of student council or, you know, queen of the prom queen or prom princess or whatever. And I remember I was nominated for like prom princess one year and I was really excited, but I, I wasn't nominated. I was nominated in the way that like people can put your name in a box and just freely nominate you. So a few people nominated me and I was like, this is the most important thing that has ever happened to me in my entire life. I have made it, but I never got on the actual slate of candidates and Mm -hmm. I never, actually became a prom princess well it's interesting that i'm interested in the fact that you that you didn't let go of either you know that you were that you sort of did have this double identity yeah um it's interesting that you know what i mean because i think a lot of people maybe would just altogether ditch their friends or would and and just be with the fake people or would like dabble with the fake people for like a quarter you know maybe a semester and then get pushed out or you know whatever and it's interesting that you were able to kind of you know sidle between the two effectively for as long as you were i would say that what when i really learned who my true friend i mean i knew who my true friends were the whole time but it became very clear when i left high school and the fake friends just dropped me like some of them stayed in touch with each other but um i think a lot of them grew apart and i've since reconnected with a few on facebook and been like uh not the real alpha popular ones but a few of the others who were like who are like yeah wasn't high school kind of weird weren't we kind of didn't we kind of have weird priorities and it's nice to talk to them about that stuff now yeah um but there were a few of them who just Uh, stopped making an effort and I was so shocked because we spent so much time together but you know they were on to you know you got a bond with your sorority or you got a bond with your with your hall or whatever in college and so um so I still feel like oh it's weird I'm 32 now I sometimes I say I'm 31 by accident but I mean that I'm 32 I feel like Um, I've been forgetting how old I am yeah I forget I'm just like I don't know um but I still have a little bit of bitterness towards this one girl in particular who dropped just ditched me and didn't follow up um which is so strange because I mean she was perfectly fun she's really fun I think that's part of it she was so much fun and then the fun was over and I didn't get to have the fun anymore and I was like why don't I get to have the fun still um but uh it's been nice to reconnect with some of them as adults and and those with whom i haven't reconnected i figure there's a good reason Mm -hmm. for that we're at different places in our lives Mm -hmm. we have different priorities maybe it's better to leave well enough alone like i tend to have a hard time letting go of romantic relationships um i stay in touch with my exes a lot but when it comes to friendships i think i tend to when i'm done i'm pretty done um and it's only really with this one girl i can think of having these lingering feelings of like oh man i, hmm. I don't know it would have been cool to stay in touch with her but it's weird and interesting so because there it's i'm always interested in the people who have a ton of those who have like all these people they don't want to run into or all these people yeah. they've had falling outs with or all these people that they still hold grudges against and it's um I, i'm more like you i don't have a lot of people that i you know I have like lingering feelings. I've discovered that with people who have lingering rage against a lot of other human beings, or sometimes you'll, you'll meet someone who'll go, Oh, I used to be friends with her, but she screwed me over. Oh yeah. I was friends with that guy, but he was such a dick. When you hear that repeatedly from someone's mouth, there's something wrong with that person. (laughs) Like something bad is happening. I would agree with that entirely. Probably steer clear (laughs) of that individual. Well, what about when you talk about keeping, you know, holding on to, um, 
positive feelings in romantic relationships, whether that means sometimes staying in longer because it's hard to let go or, mm. or, you know, having that then evolve into like, a, hopefully like a, you know, a nice friendship or a pleasant feeling sort of about that person and to continue to wish them well and all that good stuff. Um, what was that like for you in high school? Did you have, uh, did you have boyfriends? Did you just I have did. crushes? I, in high school I was, um, I had like, gosh, I don't remember how many, how many boyfriends did I have? I started dating when I was almost 16. So I was, it was right before my sophomore year of, um, of high school. So I had quite a few boyfriends and I made out with, I think a few different dudes in, um, in high school. I didn't have sex though. I didn't have sex until I was 21, but well, you know, Catholic sex, which is penetrating penis and vagina sex. That's the only kind that counts. (laughs) Um, I had other kinds, but, um, it, yeah, I, I was really boy crazy. I was just like, where's the next guy? Where's the next guy? I couldn't deal with just having a boyfriend. I had to also have admirers, mm. which is just, ugh, that, that girls like that just torment boys. I hate girls like that. I don't hate girls at all, but I, I feel, I feel so sorry for boys who are tormented by girls who keep them hanging on as admirers. And sometimes yeah. I'll get questions. Like I write an advice column for Jezebel about friendship. And then I also get a lot of advice questions via my Tumblr. And so sometimes guys will write to me and be like, this girl, you know, she said she was going to break up with her boyfriend, but then she didn't, but she still wants to hang out with me. And I feel like she's flirting with me, but I'm not sure. And they'll go into detail. And I'm just like, dude, she wants you around for her self-esteem. That's what this is about. And I know because I've done it and it's awful. Yeah. That's interesting because what you just described to me seems like it completely parallels your social life uh, platonically as well. Like here you have like a guy who means something to you and then you have admirers that don't mean as much to you but feed this other part of your ego. So you sort of have super ego relationships with one guy and with your dear, dear friends and then you have like the guys that need to feed that same part of you that like the fake people do. That's so insightful. You're welcome. That was a mark. Mark Maron moment that totally blew my mind. I know what I'm going to talk to my uh, my therapist Judy about the next time I Fantastic. see her. That was so insightful. That really because that pattern, you know, continued for some time yeah. in my life. And and well, look, and now you're a performer, which is like what mm-hmm. we all do. And I think I think we can all. I mean, that's again, it's a very human quality. We all. It feels better to have more people telling us we're great than to have less. And that's, that's how very I get that now. Addictive, and I think that you know more people succumb to that in people succumb to that in very different ways, and they sort of treat it and 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 take it seriously or take it less seriously or whatever you know, however it fits into their groove. But um, another thing I wanted to ask you too, you know, with the sort of depression and anxiety, was how honest you were with guys that you got close to. Um, you know, I had friends who were who were purposefully fragile with guys. Like they would say, like in high school, like there were some people that I was with, even male and female, where it was like, cool to be fucked up like yeah I see a shrink like yeah I'm, I'm anxious and then I had friends who were incredibly bright and incredibly sensitive and were on medications and didn't want anybody to know and wouldn't have shared that so I'm curious how much of that you let show with somebody that you were making out with or somebody that you were crazy about in some I way. think that I I mean I talked about it in school in terms of like I remember doing a school report on anxiety attacks and talked about how I have anxiety attacks in like 10th grade 
And I remember writing something for the school newspaper that had to do with depression and anxiety when a kid I knew committed suicide senior year in high school. So I, I think it was something that I put out there into the world, but I wasn't talking about it all the time. And I think with guys, um, it didn't really come up as long as uh, it came up with one boyfriend whose mother was a psychologist, marriage and family therapist, and she did not want him to be with me for two reasons. Um, one was that she said she was concerned. She said to him, when he told me, she was concerned about me being anxious and having panic attacks and him taking on that that burden, okay, at 17. And then two is that I wasn't Jewish, and that was the real reason. <laughs> It's so funny because I almost made the joke you weren't Jewish, and then I was like, "That's not going to be what it is." No, like that's, that's totally, inappropriate. That was totally the real reason. <laughs> that was it, and uh, the, you know the other stuff was just a cover for that. Really. Yeah, um, which was sort of which was so wild to me because I had I had such this lofty view of psychologists. I thought that they must be just the most aware mm. people in the world, and they they had it all together. And that was before I learned about the concept of the wounded healer, that fucked up people are attracted to trying to heal yeah. other people. And sometimes fucked up people... I mean, I love giving advice because there's nothing more fun than ignoring my own shit <laughs> and helping other people. I get to feel but good. Aren't you? And I mean, I'm being devil's advocate in part because let's all take a long look at my podcast. Um, but don't you also feel like, like for me, I don't necessarily feel like if I'm focusing on someone else's stuff, I mean, I'm sure in, at times it can be true, but I also feel like I always say about this podcast that it's therapy for me too. It's not, yeah. I'm telling, I, when I give advice to someone else, a lot of the time I'm, I'm reinforcing things that I want to continue to do about, or even to start to do. Cause it's so easy to give somebody else advice about your, about something that you yourself have a hard time following. But it, I just feel like it's a really good emotional and mental exercise to just be putting good stuff out there, what you hope and, 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 you know, pray, I guess I'm not saying pray, pray, but that you hope is, is useful, not just to someone that, you know, whose best interest you have in art, but also just to kind of remind yourself like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that person has a magnified version of something that I still yes. do. And like, it's really good for me to hear myself say, hey, like, because in a way, you're sort of calling yourself out on your shit. And it Absolutely. kind of keeps you in check in a different way than if you were, you know, I don't know. I think I, I just defended myself because I was like, I like helping people yeah. too, but it's not always about me. <laughs> no, I know. I like, I mean, I like it too. And I think it's been enormously helpful for me to, I used to have a sex advice show on Sirius XM called uh, Get in Bed on, it was Cosmo Magazine's channel because I'm such a Cosmo girl. <laughs> and that Opposite. stuff was really... Um, that was that was good, and the Jezebel stuff is good, and the r Tumblr writing stuff is just the advice questions I get. And I get a lot of emails from people who read my book, Agora Fabulous, and who are like, I went through some stuff like this, and they just want to talk. And I think it's good for me because I, when I, I end up giving them information that has helped me in the past, and so it's a good, it's true, it's a good reminder for me. Um, and also, you just feel good because you're doing you're putting good out into the world and you're helping people in some way. And it's rare that we, I think as, as artists and performers get to do that because we're so focused on ourselves. It's so when's yeah. my next audition? When's my next meeting? What's my agent going to say? What's my manager going to say? When am I going to sell this pilot? When am I going to get cast in this? When yep. am I blah, 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 blah. Me, 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 me. And yeah. it's, and it's, 
you th- that sounds so luxurious, except that it allows for, you know, endless amounts of self-criticism and self-doubt and all that yeah. kind of stuff, too. And these guys know. I always say, like, in my intros and, and during the podcast that this podcast is, like, the most important thing to me now because because it, it has an impact that's so much farther outside of anything else I've ever done in my career in terms of, like, you know, when I get those emails from you guys and keep them coming, guys, uh, I still feel this way. Uh, yeah, when I get an email from someone who's like, thank you so much for, you know, for talking about this, it made me feel like less crazy for having the same problem or whatever. Yeah. You're like, oh, I can't. And you've been doing this forever too. You know, you know, I can never stop doing this in some form or another. And and I'm sure that's true for you yeah, because you it's just, keep telling your I mean, story. talk about an addiction. I'm completely hooked on engaging and being engaged by people in that way. I just can't ever imagine my life being without it now. Yeah, I, I did a podcast for a while called Sex and Other Human Activities, which was on Cave Comedy Radio, which is out of the Creek in the Cave in, in New York City and Queens. And um, so I did that podcast for a year. And now there's a different co-host because I moved to Los Angeles. But um, we ended up talking a lot about mental health, we would start off with sex and then end up talking about mental health. And that was, that was therapeutic. And it was really great. I mean, I think it helped people and it certainly helped me. So that's ideal, I think. Yeah. And so much about sex and and sexual habits and sexual fears and all that kind of stuff is so incredibly tied into like the experiences that we have growing up and the experiences that we have now and how they sort of fit into the way we perceive sex and love and our worth and all of that kind of stuff. Absolutely. So there's no way they're like, they're totally intrinsically tied. It makes sense that they would be enmeshed that way. Um, I know that you have a rehearsal to get to and I'm at 50 minutes and I am certainly not going to forgo playing these games. So I'm going to get into this because there'll be an additional, um, uh, adolescent related question, uh, in this cootie catcher. So we'll start with that. I'm so excited. Pick a color. I pick pink. P-I-N-K number. Eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Another number. Seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. She's really making work for it. Mm, two. Okay. Two is... What movie did you watch the most as a kid or as a teenager? I watched a made-for-tea... Well, as a kid... um, I watched an. This isn't a movie though. It was an episode of Fairy Tale Theater. It was the Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs episode oh, okay. of Fairy Tale Theater. So, which was kind of like a made-for-TV movie. Yeah. But um, I would say I watched Clueless a fair amount. Oh yeah. That's I classic. also watched The Shining a mm-hmm. fair amount, and I watched um, Sleepaway Camp two. Oh, I've never seen Sleepaway Camp. Oh, well, one it's, or two. it's Sleepaway Camp two stars um, Bruce Springsteen's sister Pamela Springsteen as a murderous camp counselor Finally. who is also transgendered, okay, and okay. so it is just uh, full of horrible old stereotypes. <laughs> Yeah, I finally saw Dress to Kill for the first time. Oh, with that Michael Eddie Izzard? Movie. No, oh. Michael Caine oh. movie. No, but who doesn't love Eddie Izzard? Yeah. Or Eddie Izzard, as I guess it's actually pronounced. But that's a rough one to take on when everyone says Izzard. Um, uh, yeah, no, Dress to Kill is about, um, as Michael Caine is a psychiatrist and um, a killer is out on the loose and the killer would like to be transgender but has been um, refuse the operation. So tons of horrible, malicious stereotypes about transgendered folks and like, but starring my cocaine and starring my cocaine, <laughs> who is so fun. I'll sometimes oh. I'll turn into Michael Caine in bed, not sexually, but I'll just start talking to my boyfriend as Michael Caine and he'll just interview me. And that 
that's why our relationship works. I like what I'm hearing, and I completely support that. And I agree with you that Michael Caine's voice is a joy to do. It is so fun. And it's like, it's very specific. And um, I wish I could be a, a fly on the wall for the Michael, the Michael Caine bedroom interview. Do you know that he has a wife named Shakira? She's named Shakira. That's, that's her name. Maybe the best. They've been together for like 25, 30 years. Shakira. Shakira I'll is take his it. wife. It's great. I would learned about this from uh, comedian Jared Logan, who had Michael Caine's book about acting, I think. <sighs> and Michael Caine just talks about his life. And one of the things he talks about is Shakira, his wife. I got to read this book. It's so good. There's no, there's no doubt about it. All right. Let's do uh, a game of MASH. Okay. Now, because we're talking about Michael Caine, his wife, Shakira, and we talked about your boyfriend and what makes your relationship work, I'm going to, all due respect to your boyfriend, move past him and mm-hmm. take you into the MASH world okay. of dream fantasy husbands slash partners. Oh, Great. So I'm going to need three uh, gentlemen ideally they will be people that other people know so mm-hmm. that they can put uh, a face to a name. Okay. Michael Caine. Uh-huh. Um, Kevin Spacey. I know it wouldn't work, but I love him. I don't know how to tell you this, but he lives in my neighborhood. What? So facilitate this oh right away. Oh my God. And then I want to think of somebody who's in like the comedy world mm-hmm. so that it'll be like embarrassing for me. <laughs> um, yeah, who do you have a comedy crush on? Who do I have a comedy crush on who's just such a goddamn genius? Oh, gosh. Um, let's see. There are so many. I know. That one is married. That one is it's married. Okay, it's okay. It's all, it's, we all know it's an imaginary I mean, because I would never try to do shenanigans yeah. with them. But um, I think I am going to pick... I will pick Reggie Watts. Oh, great a choice. A delightful man. Great choice. Love the Reggie Watts. Okay. How about, I'm trying to know, I'm trying to figure out how tradish I want to go. Well, what about, um, I mean, being an author yourself, but what about a book? Because I never even really got to get, I, I never, I think I pressed on so fast with my own stuff and made it all about me that I never even mm-hmm. asked you which authors you read oh. uh, or like what kinds of books that you loved reading because I started talking about Zulfa Keatley Snyder. But what, um, what, what authors, uh, give me three authors, one of them is going to be your best friend, like your best friend author. Okay. Um, it could um, be from that time, could be someone whose books you love now, like you, Sarah, the author, is also best friends with, you know, okay. Madeline Langle or whoever. Um, my best friend author was an author named Sark, okay. S-A-R-K, mm-hmm. which stands for Susan Ariel Rainbow Kennedy. And she does like these self-help, these, yep. these whirly girls. talked girly. about it on the podcast. Oh, okay. Yeah, somebody else was talking about Sark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love it. Okay, next. Three options. Um. A person who I am with whom I'm friend-ish in real life, Mr. Neil Gaiman. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. He may, this bash game may catapult him into best friendmanship. It might, and I'll have to tell him. Um, couldn't be a bigger fan of Neil Gaiman. Fantastic choice. Love I, tw- you know I tweeted the other day that I had lost my vibrator charger, and then he tweeted back at me that he had stolen it. And Oh, that's like the best flirtation ever I was like, well... I'm, but I was angry. I was like, you know, that's not what a friendish person does. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. I was, I continued to accuse him of it, although I did find it eventually. Thank God. Yeah, I was bless really your worried. Heart. So, so mm. Sark, Neil, and um, 
who would be another person? Um, uh, an author. Uh, oh, uh, she can they be deceased? Sure. Uh, it could be anybody. The great Molly Ivins, okay. who was a wonderful newspaper writer and um, opinion haver. And I think that uh, there is a one-woman show about her that... Um, who's the, like... Th- her name is... She played V.I. Warshawski. What is her name? Oh, Kathleen Turner. Yeah, Kathleen Fantastic. Turner. But that was my reference. Of all for of her. the roles she's had, too. V.I. Warshawski. <laughs> yeah. Best known as V.I. Warshawski. <laughs> Kathleen Turner played her, and now someone else, um, some very sort of patrician uh, New England y actress, is playing this very down home Texas writer, Molly Okay. So those are my three favorites. Okay, I'd those say. are very good. Now, do you enjoy travel? I do, which is okay. funny because I'm agoraphobic, but I take lots of Well, that's of why I was wondering. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I was just in Norway um, last week. Okay. So give me three uh, vacation places. Like these are, the, you have a vacation house in these places. Okay. Oslo would be one. I can't wait to go to Norway. Um, it's awesome. And they have great comedy audiences too. Oh, that's They're nice awesome. to hear. Um, Asheville, North Carolina, mm. which is tattooed mm-hmm. on my arm. That's right here. Oh, I was going to ask you where that was, yep, but that's I'm bad at geography. Asheville, so and know. this is North Carolina on my upper Love arm. It. Love it. Um... And I would say mm, Charleston, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. We're getting into the Carolinas for sure. Yeah, I'm just a big fan of the Carolinas. I've and never Oslo. been. I got to get on it's it. It's lovely. Yeah, that's a one of these things. Is not like the other situation, yeah. but I'm, I'm into it. I'm into it. Um, you, there are so many things that you've done, and I, I know will do. But what about three careers that you will never even get close to doing because they're so far outside the realm of what you do now, but that would still be. Like that there's something appealing about them to you. Haberdashery. Love it. Being a hat maker would be cool. Um, love it. Scrimshaw. I love so that how quickly you're able to pull these up. It's fantastic. Carving whalebone. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and finally, I would say um, gynecology. Very interesting. interesting. And I like looking at people's parts and learning about them. For some reason, I realize I only we only ever spell like the gyne part of OBGYN slash yeah, yeah, GYN. Yeah. So it's like, how do I we had do to really think that through? Know. Yeah. Um, what about uh, occult power? Three occult powers could be astral projection and two others mm-hmm. could be three entirely different things. Not so much like a super. So I do superhero a lot like our super like a superpower. Mm-hmm. This is more like very specific to the sort of occult world. Okay. So not this is not one so that not I'm like not you putting fly, down. I'm anyway. not putting down reading thoughts because I think that would be too sad because mm, you would find agreed. out when people don't like you and it would be sad. Uh, so I would say um, astral projection, of Love course. It. That would be really fun. Um, let's see. Um, being able to. S- oh, this is this isn't a cult though. Uh, what were you going to say though? No, I was going to say. Well, what would the word be? Being able to see people when you're not in the room with them, like I have think that's definitely. Of them. I'm totally, totally on board for like, that. Like close being your one eyes and you can see what someone's doing. Yeah, yeah, that would um, be interesting. I'm, I well, we, we'll just call it a psychic link. Yeah, I can't hear what they're thinking. Correct. But I can see what you they're can just doing. see them. That's good. It's good. And um, the ability to talk to ghosts when I Great. want to. I'm putting you in as medium. I don't want them bothering me. Yeah. Medium at will. Yeah. what I'm putting in here. Very good. Okay. What about uh, three... This is different from vacation places. Three 
places that it's unrealistic that you'll have sex, but that would be kind of great to have sex there. Okay. Brand new category. Just made it up. It is a specific tailored for Sarah Benicasa. Thank you. Category. Okay. Unrealistic that I would actually have sex there, but it would be fun. Um, in the peanut butter aisle at Ralph's, <laughs> the, pe- the jams and jellies aisle. Jams and jellies. And peanut Unlikely, butter. though possible. On the 50-yard line at my school, my high school's mm-hmm. football stadium. And, um, and in, okay, I think his name is Kevin McKidd, the red-haired actor from Grey's Anatomy, in his house, not necessarily (laughs) with him because he's married, but in his house, it's probably a very nice house. He's very successful. sure you're right. I think his name's Kevin McKidd. I'm putting that in and at least we know, yeah, at least we know. In the red-headed doctor from... Grace and Anatomy's house. Fantastic. Um, I want to ask you like a good, well, if you could get, I, hmm. this is tough because what I was going to say was if you could get rid of something about yourself or your life that you don't like, which by the way is a violation of your privacy anyway, but I was oh, going to no, say, okay. I, I was going to say like that, you know, I don't want to say, because I always feel like, well, I don't want to get rid of my anxiety because I feel like it has so much to do with who I am. But like if everything else stayed unchanged because this is mash and it's fantasy land, mm-hmm. Um, is there anything like, or what are three things that it could be totally small? It could be like, I wish my toenails would grow faster. I would, even though I'm prefacing this because I love myself and I'm a feminist, I know I look good, but I would lose mm, 20 pounds so that I could be Hollywood thin just so that I could say once in my life I was Hollywood thin. Okay. <laughs> so lose 20 pounds, even though girls love yourself, love your body. absolutely beautiful, exactly as she I is. I mean, I look great the way I am, but it would be interesting to see what it's like to be that skinny because I've never been that skinny. I don't know what it's like. Well, I'll tell you what. I have been that skinny. I can't say that I'm that skinny now. And it's really hard to... You spend a lot of time thinking about how you're going to stay that skinny. Oh, really? Well, I would be that. If you were natural, if if, if, uh, these women who are naturally thin, who never Mm -hmm. have to do anything, I guess that's a different story. But if you know what your natural state is and you lose a bunch of weight and then you have to keep it off, like a lot of your life becomes, and I don't mean that in an eating disorder way. I just mean that in like my trainer always used to say, you're making a decision about priorities. So if your priority is to have six pack, you're going to spend a lot of time working on that six pack. That's that true. will be your job. If your priority is to have a really rich family life, you're probably not going to have a six pack. That's true. Like he's, I mean, that's, that's oversimplifying it to, that makes you sense. know, but if you're a person who always, always is bathing suit ready, I guarantee you spend a lot of time always being bathing suit ready by everything you put into your body, what you spend your free, your free time doing and sort of what your focus is. So I don't know. That was just I like, I probably wouldn't have time to write books. I mean, I on, to be I 20 mean, pounds just, thinner. That would be crazy. That's just something for me. that I've kind of, I think to me that's helped me make peace with if I gain or lose a few pounds, like it's helped me make peace with like, yeah, but what else is going on? That's more important than that. You yeah. Know what I mean? That's a really I don't good know. point. Just something to think about. But no, um, having really said that, to I totally about. understand. Like most women are like, if I only weighed blah, blah, blah. Um, what else? Uh, what are two other ones? Well, I would get rid of, uh, I would get rid of unnecessary body hair. Great. So I would just, without having to laser or wax or whatever, I would just be poof and I would have like a perfect bush and 
just, just the right kind. Seven, still rocking the 70s bush, but like a cleaned up situation. Right. No sideburns on the thighs. Great. No, no thigh burns. <laughs> no thigh burns. Um, and I would get rid of jealousy. I would not be a jealous person. I love that answer. It would That's be my great. favorite. I, by the way, I never, ever cheat at MASH, but I'm secretly hoping that you get the jealousy one because I that's my favorite that of, would be of awesome the things to get, to rid, get rid of so we'll of. see how the math turns out um a final category final category will be um something that you wish you had more of in your life could be completely based on absolutely nothing real could be you wish you had a winged pegasus friend mm-hmm. uh or it could be you know you wish you had more money i guess that's a cliche mm-hmm. but it could also be like you know you wish you had more i don't know what I wish I had more money in my retirement fund. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have one for when I was at Sirius XM, but it does not have a lot of money in it. So mm-hmm. I wish I had more money in there. Fair enough. Um, I wish that I had more willpower mm-hmm. surrounding healthy choices, mm-hmm. food, exercise, mm-hmm. not drinking, mm-hmm. stuff like that. More. Well, I think we can all relate to that. Yeah. For sure. And I wish that I had um, more eyelashes mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. I just got my eyelashes. Well, I, I just am done with, I had fake eyelashes for a little while. I had mm-hmm. eyelash extensions by Jackie O. Lashes. Mm-hmm. Who People is available. talk about. She's available in Los Angeles. She's very reasonably priced. Jackie O. Lashes. And um, they were great. and But they, you know, eventually they fall off. So yeah. I wish I naturally had more eyelashes great. so that I didn't feel like I needed fake eyelashes. Great. Great answers. Um, I am going to uh, start this and ask you to just tell me when to stop. Okay. Stop. Okay. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. Wait. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Okay. Eight. I'm pausing this when we come back. Your future will be revealed. Ooh. All right. Um, I'm pleased. I will say I'm very pleased with the outcome of this mash game. Okay. But I do want to tell you, I'm just going to, I want to spare this. I want to rip the bandaid off straight away, okay. which I don't usually do. I usually save the person that you end up with for last, but I got to rip the bandaid off because you don't end up with Reggie Watts. Oh, that's okay. Do end up with Kevin Spacey. Yeah. And he's pretty wonderful. And so sexy and LA confidential. <laughs> and loves dick. Uh, not in this world. Total sword not swallower. In this world. Not in this world. <laughs> not in this world. And uh, I'm, I don't know if this means that you live now in the, the house that is uh, very nearby to mine, but you do live in a mansion. So it's I live in a mansion with Kevin that Spacey. That you're my neighbor, which is really exciting oh, cool. for me. I win. This is, I totally I win. I can walk Scott when you're like busy and stuff. Are, are you sure that you're going to have time when you're so busy carving whalebone? Oh, <laughs> I am. I have scrimshaw. Scrimshaw. Yes. It's fantastic. And somehow that it works for me that perhaps you've opened up some sort of a little side business uh in your vacation spot i know it's a vacation spot but somehow it still feels appropriate like maybe you enjoy your hobby of scrimshawing mm-hmm. so much so that you do it for a little extra cash in your uh vacation spot in Asheville, north carolina oh i would love that right just kicking back just chilling on the front porch drinking sweet tea mm-hmm. like <laughs> carving things out of whalebone that would be awesome it's kind of easy to picture um it's actually really easy to picture now speaking of being something being easy to picture 
the good news is that if even if you're separated from your loved ones, you have a psychic link with them and you're able to just see wherever they are and whatever they're doing at any given time. Good. So good. That's a good gift. I'm pleased with that gift. Because technically astral projection kind of would have been the same thing. Mm-hmm. So this way you got you got you got it. Um if you but unfortunately you can't astral project, which is tempting to say it'd be cool if your soul could have sex on the 50 yard line of that your would high be school really cool but your body did great oh, so that's great that's as long as i don't get arrested for like some sort of child sex crime because i'm near a school yep i'm nope. fine with it Again, it'll be with an not adult in this world not in this world that we've created here um i want to congratulate you on your best friendship with author molly ivan <gasps> oh molly Feels like you got a good one there. That's how I probably am best friends with her through a psychic link because she's in heaven. There you go. That's how it works. There you go. That's awesome. Um, And uh, and then I'm also very pleased with these two things. So you have uh, tremendous willpower when it comes to making healthy choices, which is cool because that sort of nullifies your need to lose the 20 pounds because you have the willpower. So I guess if you wanted to, you could anyway. And. who gives a shit about the other thing that I crossed off that I didn't think was that big of a deal? Oh, the body hair. That's nothing. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, I can, you ended I can. up getting rid of jealousy, just like I wanted. Oh. I did not cheat. That came around organically. That's great. I'm, I'm not the, jealous. I think it was the first thing that became, like, everything else was crossed off. It was the first thing that got circled oh, as, awesome. like, a determinant. So I'm not jealous of Kevin Spacey's boyfriends. There you go. It's probably the perfect gift That's to have what happens. in your marriage with a gay man. Yeah. Um, this and this, this, the outcome of this mash, this, the outcome of this podcast, podcast i just said uh couldn't be happier with every Great. bit of it i had a joyful time i hope thank you did the you same. so much this was awesome um, janet thank you so much for having me you over are to do this. i think the kids are still th- saying things are rad um you're rad you're rad i think you're rad i think you're rad you're the raddest and uh you know the one thing that i wish that we could have gotten to was this sort of new um fledgling advice uh section because you're the perfect person to have it but i just as it happens because it's just started i don't have anything i've we've answered a couple of recent questions from from listeners but i don't have anything raring to go so I, what i will say you guys is that we can do an probably an e version oh, an yeah. online version and um and you guys can uh put questions on the facebook page and um we'll pick a couple and answer them there that'll yeah, be like that our follow up of the that. the junior varsity section is what um one of the listeners has named it junior varsity section is the advice section so oh, cool. we'll do an online we'll do the online version of that and uh with sarah and guys thank you so much for for listening and um thank you thank you guys for listening so much and you all have a great day and may the force be with you correct Live that's long i've and never prosper? yeah i've never oh i've never ended a podcast that way but i did see star trek last night and i Was loved it yeah, I thought it was great. Have, Spock is so dreamy. I should have put Spock on one oh, of my things. I know him. You do? Very cool guy. So dreamy. Also gay. I know. Uh, I love it. <laughs> I love that those are you. T- okay. I, listen, I don't want this to end, but it's going to end right now. As always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by The Amazing Say Hi. Now leaving Nerdist.com.